Hello, and welcome to episode 13, all about a journey in the dark, chapter four, book two, A Fellowship of the Ring, being the 13th part of That's What I'm Talking About. My name is Mary Clay. If that's too complicated for you, just call me MC. And today I am joined once again by Casey Winters from Hello from Elsewhere. Welcome, Casey. Hello. I'm so glad to be back. Like like Bilbo returning to Rivendell. Here I am. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and it's really funny just kind of thinking back how you were on for the very first episode when I knew nothing. And now I know <laughs> some things. So now you're an expert. <laughs> yeah, because in the first episode, I felt like there were I had like nothing to contribute to what you were saying. Because I was like, yeah, I'm sure that's <laughs> how it happens. And yeah, that makes sense. Cool. That sounds awesome. Right. And now I'm like, Yay, we can actually like talk about stuff because I I, right. I know what's going on a little bit. So <laughs> Well I'm I'm curious. I'm just gonna ask the question right up front. What are your feelings so far like as a whole? Because so far you've been looking at each chapter by chapter, but I'm curious what you're feeling, what's great, what's frustrating, what's yeah. interesting. I think one of the most frustrating things for me is just the pacing and how it feels so slow going at this point. And I'm sure once I'm able to like zoom out when I'm either done with this book or done with the whole series, I'm sure I'll be able to zoom out and be like, wow, what an epic story. But right yeah. now in the like nitty gritty of like, and then they want like the previous chapter was mostly them just being in a snowstorm and figuring right. out how to survive it. And I'm ready for like the more epic things to happen. I know certain things that happened in the next chapter, which <laughs> I'm sure will like get the ball rolling. Yeah, that was a very long-winded answer to your question of, I don't know. And I'm also afraid well, <laughs> that this experience of reading it chapter, like one chapter at a time, like one chapter a week, I'm afraid that that experience is like going to ruin Lord of the Rings for me, or I'm not going to enjoy it as much because I feel like I might be able to enjoy it more if I could just keep reading on, but I have to make myself stop. But definitely pros and cons. I appreciated just reading this chapter for this episode because this is one of those chapters where I'm reading it because I know stuff's going to go down afterward. And so it allowed me to just like take a breath and just appreciate this chapter by itself. Mm -hmm. So I think there's benefits to it as well. Yeah, I'm interested to like see what my own, you know, ask myself that question again a couple right. of times further down the road. So you're well, just like Frodo going through the journey of your own. It's very yes, meta. Exactly. <laughs> uh, I think I made I made like a very similar joke in the previous episode that Casey, who you haven't heard yet because it hasn't come out yet at this point that we're yeah. recording, but I said like, yeah, basically everyone in the felt like Aragorn and Gandalf are my guests who know everything and know what they're talking about <laughs> and know where they're going. And then I am the hobbits. <laughs> and then, I don't know, I guess the listeners are Gimli and Legolas and who else is there? I don't know, Boromir. <laughs> Then who's Tom Bombadil? That's the question. <laughs> no one is Tom Bombadil. Tom Bombadil is Tom Bombadil is the internet waves that oh, allow you to. He's the, he is the ether <laughs> that allows you to be listening to this podcast. He is an intangible Perfect. object. <laughs> 
I love it. <laughs> uh, so jumping into this chapter, they are regrouping after a very treacherous journey through the mountain where they almost froze to death and basically have... So in the previous chapter, they mentioned uh, Aragorn and Gandalf were off by themselves talking about oh yeah, there's this dark and dangerous, scary, evil path that we could go. And Aragorn is like, um, I'd rather not, but if it comes to it, I guess we'll get there when we get there. And now it's time. Uh, it, as I correctly predicted, the mere mention of this evil, dark path means that they were going to have to follow it at some point. So they... Decide now. I'm flipping to the man. Sorry, I'm flipping through the book to get to the right chapter, and it just amazes me how, like, there's not that much left in this book. I've read a yeah, lot. It's getting toward the end. Here we go. Yeah, and they have decided that this is the path they're going to go. They are going to have to go through the mines of Moria, which Gimli is stoked for, and everyone <laughs> else is like, uh, no. I love Gimli in this this chapter so much. He's yeah. just the I just wrote Gimli Eager Beaver. That's <laughs> that's him in this chapter. Yeah. It's wonderful. Yeah, and we'll learn a little bit more later about why Moria is so important to him and the dwarves. And Pippin and Marion so basically as they're deciding how to move forward and where to go from here, there is also the suggestion of, well, we could just cut our losses, turn back and go back to Rivendell. And Pippin, Mary, and Sam are like, that sounds great. Let's, Let's do, do that. <laughs> and it just feels so on brand for them to be like, right. like in the pre like two chapters ago, one chapter ago, they were all arguing, trying to be a part of this journey. And they're like, take me with you. And Mary basically says, like, you'll have to chain me here if you don't want me to go with them. I am going. And then now they're like, okay, this is kind of serious. Can we? They're the kids that beg you to go to the grocery store. And then once you get there, they're whining the whole time. (laughs) (laughs) Man, like, honestly, the comparison of hobbits to toddlers and or children pops up so many times as I'm I'm reading this book. Because it's so accurate. Um, And yeah, they decide that they are going to go through the mines of Moria. And they are all scared of it. Gandalf kind of asks for everyone's opinions and everyone just says, no, let's not do that. Even Aragorn, which is what, like, if Aragorn says, no, let's not do this, I feel like we should, you should not do this. But right. this chapter starts on such an ominous note from pretty much every character except mm-hmm. for, for Gimli. And even from the narrator, like everything is pointing toward that this is not a good trip through the mines here. Yeah. Yeah. And everyone's just saying, no, I don't want to do it. Not me, not me. And Gandalf says, of course not. Who would? But the question is, who will follow me if I lead you there? So Gandalf is like, yeah, this is kind of scary and evil, but um, who's with me? <laughs> well, I love before that, um, when they're still discussing it and um, Boromir suggests going like a different way, like going far to the north or far to the south. Oh, yeah. And Gandalf's like, uh, were you not even, what does he say? He says, yeah. did you not hear what I told you of Saruman? It makes me think of the first Guardians of the Galaxy with Drax. And Drax is like, when did we establish that? And Quill's like, three seconds ago. And Drax is like, oh, I wasn't listening. I was thinking of something else. Like, 
Boromir is Drax in this chapter, and oh I'm here for God. it. Boromir is... I really hope he gets better, because at this point, he's <laughs> almost the worst. Yeah, and, yeah, but Yeah, Boromir talks about... Uh, I'm, glad, I'm glad you pointed that out, because I actually highlighted that point. Yeah, Boromir talks about, well, when I came here, I walked through this land and this mountain, and everything was fine then. And Gandalf is like, did you not listen, boy? It's all changed. <laughs> Saruman and I have beef. There's no way he's going to let us go near him or any of that area. Did you not pay attention? Which is so funny because in the previous chapter too, I think uh, Bilbo, they're talking about the council and Bilbo's like, yeah, everyone learned something new. And Gandalf is like, not me. I knew everything. I I know everything. (laughs) Yeah. So they begin the journey to, wait, where at some, so at some point, and this happens several times in this chapter. Gandalf makes references, or the way he describes how long it'll take, he describes it in such vague terms. And they ask, well, how long will it take to get there? And he says, 15 miles as the crow flies, 20 as the wolf runs. What does that mean? Can't you just say, like, oh, it's like, you know, 25 miles that way. Like, and I think then- it's him trying to be more ominous again, because they know wolves are on their, on their tail and so he's just bringing up wolves again. That's yeah. kind of kind of mean, almost scaring everyone. <laughs> yeah, and the, yeah, and then the last chapter they have this flock of ominous bird spy, true, like flying over them basically and following them. So, but yeah, I'm like, come on, Gandalf, just at least give a straight answer for once in your life. And so yeah, they are super excited to. Or I mean, sorry, let me rephrase that. Gimli is super excited <laughs> to go to Moria, and the rest of the gang is nah. I, I just, to me, it feels like, so I went to Edinburgh a couple years ago with some friends, and while we were there, I made my friends and I do this, like, at-night underground ghost tour of Edinburgh and them going to Moria feels like me making my friends go to this ghost tour. And I was Gimli and my friends were the rest of the fellowship because they were not about it. And I was like, ghosts, this is awesome. Let's do it. So if there were ghost hunters in Middle Earth, this is where they would film it is Moria. <laughs> Zach, uh, yeah, Zach Bagans going into the mines of Moria. I'd watch it. And then the um, There's a few places in Middle Earth that they could go to. But this is definitely one of them. Well, it's fu- it's funny you say that because I've been, I made several jokes that I should have a episode where I just try and talk to Tolkien via Ouija board. And <laughs> I'm I'm all for this. I mean, we're getting into we're getting into spooky season proper. It's almost October. Let's do a ghost adventures episode in, in Middle Earth and <laughs> and talk to Tolkien via Ouija board. Perfect. So as they are stopping for the night, this pack of wolves comes near them and they're called wargs. So is that just like a evil kind of wolf, I'm assuming, or a different type of wolf? Yeah, they're bigger, but they're just, yeah, basically evil wolves that the orcs have befriended and sometimes ride them. Oh, oh, so then they're, I guess they're pretty big then if they ride them. Yeah. Okay, yeah. well, that's terrifying. Um, <laughs> They're like wolves the size of horses. Yep. Oh, gosh. Which is great. <laughs> that's terrifying. Oh, that's terrifying. And so they start attacking, and everyone's using... There's a great paragraph where it's it's like, Aragorn passed, passed his sword with a thrust, with a great sweet Boromir hew, hewed off... 
hewed the head off another. Beside them, Gimli stood with stout legs apart, wielding his dwarf axe. The bow of Legolas was singing. So everyone's like all hands on deck for these wolves. And then Gandalf comes in with this spell that lights everything on fire, basically, and makes it all go away. And I'm like, why didn't you just do that from the start? Literally, no one would have had to step in and do anything if he had just done that spell. Like, But we needed that money superhero shot of all of the characters using their weapon, you know? Yeah, uh, yeah. I'm just imagining the camera circling them a la the Avengers, uh, Avengers the first yeah. Avengers movie. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and then, what's his, yeah, Legolas is taking his bow out like Hawkeye and, you know, Gimli's throwing his axe and, I don't know, maybe it's a boomerang and it comes back to him a la Thor's <laughs> hammer. Who knows? <laughs> and yeah, and then, yeah, so Gandalf's spell... Is this, so all of these words that I'm not going to say because it's not English, is this, it's a spell of some kind. So is it elfin language or is it just a different language altogether? I believe it's an old elvish, but I don't know, actually. That's a good question. Yeah, there's multiple elvish languages. Then there's dwarf, dwarfish, and then there's the black speech of the orcs. And yeah, there's a lot of languages here, but I'm not sure which one this is for sure. Okay, we'll find that out later, I'm assuming. Maybe you're not gonna try but to I, you're not gonna try to speak it for us. Uh, well, uh, consider well. First of all, considering uh, like if someone ever makes a bingo card for that's what I'm talking about, <laughs> the free space is Mary Clay messes up reading a passage because I cannot for the life of me get through like a sentence without uh, uh, stumbling over my words because apparently I don't know how to read, which apparently was all, is also running some kind of joke that Tyler made on bacon and eggs at one point so I guess the bacon and egg squad is just screwed none of us know how to read properly (laughs) Um, but it says there was a roar and a crackle and the tree above him burst into a leaf and bloom of blinding flame the fire leapt from treetop to treetop the whole hill was crowned with dazzling light and this is basically when all of the wolves leave after this this is the thing that makes it that makes them go away. And I, in my mind, liken this to when I'm playing Zelda Breath of the Wild sometimes. So a wolf will see you and usually, and all of the other wildlife animals, when they see you, they run away. But the wolves, when they see you, they will come over and try to attack you. And me being a dog lover, I'm like, I don't want to kill you. I don't want to kill you. Please don't make me kill you. And then as you're left with no choice but to kill them or run away uh, until they stop following you. And as soon as you kill one of them, the rest of them run away. So that's what I likened this to of as soon as like a couple of them were dead. They were like, oh, maybe we'll, we're going to lose this fight. Let's get out of here. Oh, and then, yeah, and then Sam makes a nice comment earlier. They were a little worried about if Gandalf knows what he's doing, which at some points in this chapter, we find out he does not at all know what he's doing. But Sam tells him something like, whatever is going to happen to Gandalf, I can tell you he's not going to get eaten by wolves. And then all of this happens and Sam says, what did I tell you, Mr. Pippin? Wolves won't get him. That was an eye opener and no mistake. (laughs) Yeah, this chapter is definitely uh, really focused on Gandalf and yeah, knowing what's to come possibly that uh, we kind of know why, but it's definitely, I wouldn't say a deconstruction of Gandalf this chapter, but he is brought down a few pegs multiple times throughout Mm -hmm. this chapter. 
Yeah. And he also just has, like, such a tood in this chapter. Yeah. <laughs> he's so awful. He's so awful to Pippin all of the time. And I don't know why. I had, There's a line at some point later on that I highlighted specifically. But he's so awful to Pippin. And he's so awful to Boromir, too. Which I don't mind him being... Like, I don't mind him being awful. But, like, sometimes I'm like, okay, that was just uncalled for, sir. <laughs> yeah, like... It- like he randomly tells Pippin that he's gonna use his head to smash the door in, yeah. and and later I really love the relationship for Gandalf and Pippin, and I can't quite say why without spoiling things for the future. But one of my favorite things, and I I love the movies, and one of my favorite things about the movies is that this relationship has really been preserved. This kind of uh, annoyed fatherly relationship, and more than annoyed, almost. Um, toxic i don't know how to describe yeah. it but you're right it is it is kind of sad and gandalf has a tood, as you said is probably a good way of putting it yeah yeah and i mean luckily like pippin seems resilient enough that he's just like oh gandalf <laughs> and yeah. isn't really bothered by it so maybe that's why he is just constantly roasting him but <laughs> so they uh after the next morning they discover that all of the there's no sign that there was any kind of like wolf fight at all the night before because all of the bodies it's all gone and Gandalf is like yep those are not normal wolves well it's a good thing we're going to Moria so it won't matter anymore (laughs) (laughs) so they are traveling and when they get there or as they're getting closer they eventually stop to have a conversation that just uh breaks my heart they realize that they have to let Bill the Pony go. And (laughs) I was just kind of like laughing and was just in shock as I was reading it um, slash listening to it because I had, I just recorded the episode on chapter three. And I said, like, I swear if anything happens to this pony, how, like, how dare you, Tolkien? Like, how dare you make me care about this horse? I don't even like horses. And now I care about Bill the Pony more than, like, any of the other characters at this point. Right. And I'm like, how dare well, you? <laughs> what's worse is if you love Bill the Pony, you probably shouldn't watch the cartoon. Oh, um, no. Because so there's the the watcher in the lake that we'll talk about in a moment with the tentacles <laughs> and Bill the Pony nearby. I'll just leave it at that. Oh, no. So his fate is much less violent here. I wonder if there's a special section for Bill the Pony on, what is it? It's called like doesthedogdie.com or something. I wonder if they've made an exception or something for Bill the Pony for (laughs) for the Lord of the Rings stuff. Oh my gosh. Um, Oh, so I wanted to say something real quick before that part. So they come, they're walking toward the gates of Moria that the gate that Gandalf hasn't been through on this side. And they come to the big lake, right? And Gandalf says, there are the walls of Moria, said Gandalf, pointing across the water. And there the gate stood once upon a time, the elven door at the end of the road from Holland, by which we have come. But this way is blocked. None of the company, I guess, will wish to swim this gloomy water at the end of the day. It has an unwholesome look. And I just pictured in my head, as he's saying all this gloomy stuff, Gimli just running past him and just cannonballing right into the lake. (laughs) I just had like, that image in my head. It's like, <laughs> Moria, I'm back. Ah! 
He's like, all right, I'll see you guys over there. Last one to Moria is a rotten egg. Like, he's just so excited and Gandalf's being gloomy. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, it's funny you say that too, because at one point, Gand- when they're talking about Bill the Pony and they're telling Sam about him, he bas- Gandalf basically says, well, I mean, it's either Frodo or the Pony. And I just <laughs> pictured Sam being like, all right, bye, and just grabbing Bill the Pony and running off into the sunset. And like, that's the last you ever see of Samwise Ganji. <laughs> perfect (laughs) um yeah so they get to the gates and there is this fun little riddle oh well actually first as he they're kind of walking through um a i don't know i guess a river or pond or stream or something and frodo makes a comment that like this is gross. I can feel everything underneath my feet and it's slimy and just kind of setting up this idea that like the water is gross and creepy. He's like that person when you go to the beach and you're all in the ocean and like a piece of seaweed touches his leg and he's like, nope, I'm out of (laughs) here. Yeah, so they get to the gates and there is, we get a brief little history lesson, I suppose, about uh, the relationship between dwarves and elves and, um, They're talking about what Moria and the gate used to be like and how a lot of times it was just left open and people would come and go through it. And Gandalf says, those were happier days when there was still close friendship at time between folk of different race, even between dwarves and elves. Gimli says, it was not the fault of dwarves that the friendship waned. I had not heard that it was the fault of the elves, said Legolas. And then Gandalf gives such a, like, politician's answer and says, I have heard both, and I will not give judgment now. So (laughs) either, I'm assuming that's either, like, history that Tolkien himself created to set everything up, or I don't know if that's, like, covered at all in The Hobbit, but it's... One of those things that I'm like, well, I'll find out more later. Yeah, I think it's more Silmarillion stuff, if I remember right. Because I don't, I haven't read all of the Silmarillion, but I know some things about it. And mm-hmm. so I believe that the dwarves and elves were, were friends long, long ago, back before Sauron was evil or presented himself as evil. And at one point when the elves and men started battling with Sauron, the dwarves kind of just hid away in the mountain here in Moria, kind of just running away from from the problems of the world. And that's kind of how they survived the war of the second age, I believe. Sure. That sounds right to me. (laughs) That sounds right to me, who has almost zero knowledge of any of (laughs) of this world. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know if I'm going to go into the Cimmerillion and and talk about all the history and stuff, unless I, like, figured out a way to do it in a really, like, fun, creative way. Because I feel like Mm. it would just... It would just get kind of boring real fast of like, it would be like a history podcast at that point. So I don't know. Listeners, do you have opinions? Let me know. (laughs) (laughs) So they are standing outside the gate. Oh, well, actually, first of all, so this is when they officially tell Sam that they have to let Bill the Pony go. And Gandalf gives him this like, almost it's like a fake blessing, basically. He says, you are a wise beast and have learned much in Rivendell. Make your ways to places where you can find grass. And so in time, come to Elrond's house or wherever you wish to go. And then he says, there, Sam, he will have quite as much a chance as escaping wolves and getting home as we have. <laughs> so uh, that just kind of made me laugh that Gandalf kind of gives this like fake acknowledgement of the fact that like Bill the Pony is just as is both 
as well equipped and doomed as the rest of them. Right. He couldn't have said that in Elvish and it would have been great. An actual <laughs> spell. <laughs> it could have been like There, a, Sam. He's good. Uh he could have he could have just said it in Elvish, but like made up a blessing, but it sounds Nonsense really words. profound and beautiful. <laughs> And then Sam is like, oh, thank you so much for the protective spell. But Gandalf was actually saying, like, good luck, you horse. I hope you don't die (laughs) in Elvish. He was just reading his his to-do list Yeah, he's like, go to grocery store. Drop off package at post office. (laughs) Save hobbits. (laughs) There's um, an episode of Parks and Rec where the Native American tribe that's, like, in Pawnee the uh-huh. chief pl- says he's gonna curse like the says he's oh, gonna right, curse yeah. like the fair yeah. that they're holding because it's on like grounds where there was like some kind of battle but basically everything in Pawnee is super problematic so anyway and he places this fake curse and then at the end of the episode they have him do like a curse removal ceremony for the pub for like the media and the press and he is speaking in in his Native American language and the captions show up and it says like I am saying nothing <laughs> you all are just going to believe whatever I say <laughs> I It's like doobie doobie do Yeah <laughs> <laughs> as he throws the dust or whatever Yeah and he's just th- yeah <laughs> Oh, that's so good. So now they come up to the gate, which in my version, I got an illustration of the gate slash door. And I was like, wow, this is nice. A nice little surprise. So yeah, they get to the gate and, oh, well, backtracking. They give a little history about this door and gate and explain that it's invisible unless you know where it is. And then you have to have this password. And it just seems like they made it unnecessarily difficult like like it's one of those things of like you only know where it is if you know where it is and i'm like dwarves you could have like done something a little bit di- because they talk about it later too how they don't know the password because that information is long gone and like died with the last people who are the last dwarves like years and years and years ago and um, that just seems like important information that like you should pass on or you know do something else so that if you if the per- last person who has this knowledge dies this isn't like lost forever it's such a dwarf thing to do and there's a similar doorway um in the hobbit actually that it's even harder and more impossible to get into than this so it just must be a dwarf thing i guess <laughs> It's a dwarf thing. <laughs> you wouldn't understand. <laughs> so Gandalf finds it doing whatever Gandalf knowledge he knows. And is like, yeah, if it, I suspected it would be about here. And reads the inscription on the door. It says, the doors of Durin, Lord of Moria, speak friend and enter. And then underneath it, it says, I, Narvi, made them Celebr- Again, this is, I have never read words like this aloud until now. Celebrimbor of Holland drew these signs. There we go. Oh, so basically that's just a <laughs> created by, that's just like a artist credit <laughs> at the bottom. <laughs> artist like illustrated by, written by. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So the message says the doors of Durin, Lord of Moria, speak friend and enter. 
And I immediately was like, oh, gosh, this is just a bad riddle, isn't it? (laughs) The password's friend, isn't it? And later on, we find out, sure enough, the password is friend, because it just says speak, comma, friend, comma, and enter. And The importance of punctuation. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it just honestly reminded me of like a bad riddle. And that's what the dwarves put their trust in was a bad riddle so <laughs> i love i love this part though because it's another instance where gandalf has brought down a few pegs yeah. and y- you have to think about well first of all there's this connection between gandalf and say like aslan uh c.s lewis has been brought up a lot mm-hmm. and aslan is a very perfect character but gandalf is definitely not and yeah. i think here tolkien is is looking at these characters that are meant to be all important and all knowing and in a way Tolkien being a professor, I'm sure he knew people that were like this, that thought they knew everything or people thought they knew everything, but they really didn't. And even Tolkien might have seen it in himself as well. What's really interesting, too, about this is that in the movie version, maybe this is a mini spoiler, but Frodo is the one that tells Gandalf, uh, hey, what's the elvish word for friend? And then Gandalf realizes it, which I actually really like that in that much of the story is all about small people um, mm-hmm. surprising surprising the people that are supposed to be all-knowing yeah. and all-powerful. So. Yeah. Oh, I like that too. Yeah. Gandalf struggles here for a bit. He tries out all of these different spells and tries speaking in different languages and different combinations of words. And then he ends it with, he threw his staff on the ground and sat in silence. So Gandalf just kind of like has a little tantrum and is like, I'm who's the toddler now? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, he's just like trying. Oh, wait. And this is when, yeah. So they're talking about what to, yeah, Pippin is like, so what are you going to do when Gandalf says that he doesn't know what the password is? Gandalf says, knock on the doors with your head, Peregrine Took. <laughs> but if that does not shatter them and I'm allowed a little peace from foolish questions, I will seek for the opening words. So, man, Gandalf just... <laughs> he's got a temper when he's stressed, for yeah, sure. <laughs> he's, yeah, which he's very stressed at this point because he, he also... Also, I think on their way here, they make a comment of... Or he makes a com- I don't know, the narrator, whoever, makes a comment that they came... Up up a little like north of where Gandalf thought they were and there's all these references to like where Gandalf thinks they're going to be in the journey or how much he knows and then them kind of being proven wrong a little bit and just realizing there there is a lot of slow realization throughout this chapter of like he does not have all the answers he doesn't know exactly what he's doing or where he's going and, and now I think he, he has these he feels that failure on his sh- on his shoulders mm-hmm. which is probably why he's lashing out at people but he failed to take them you know the the mountain Caradras that path failed and now he's taking him this way which he doesn't know as well and he recognizes as probably more ominous so yeah I think it's just little failures after little failures are are starting to add up mm-hmm, definitely and so while he's trying out all of these things man of course it's Boromir who does this so Boromir they're standing at the lake and Boromir like just picks up a rock and kind of throws it into the water and it says. The stone vanished with a soft slap, but at the same instant, there was a swish and a bubble. Great rippling rings formed on the surface out beyond where the stone had fallen, and they moved slowly toward the foot of the cliff. So, oh, and then Frodo says, why did you do that, Boromir? (laughs) Um, And they don't know exactly what he, I don't know if it was that action that awakened the beast 
the attacks like further down the page, but I was just like, of course it's Boromir who did it. <laughs> and then, yeah, then Gandalf, oh, which by the way, the Elvish word, yeah, then Gandalf realized, oh, of course, it's friend. And the Elvish word for friend is melon, which I don't know why, yeah. that just made me laugh because melon to me is such a like everyday human word. <laughs> well, in the movie, and I, they have, they had linguists coaching the actors on pronunciation. Ian McKellen pronounces it melon, but in our head, we're all just saying melon, melon. let's be honest. <laughs> so as this is all happening, this is when, ah, uh, just the worst, like, uh, I just cringed reading this. Something sneaks up from the waters and grabs Frodo's ankle. It says, the other swung around and saw the waters of the lake seething as if a host of snakes were swimming up from the southern end. Out from the water, a long, sinuous tentacle had crawled. It was pale green and luminous and wet. Its fingered end had hold of Frodo's foot and was dragging him into the water. Ugh! Just (laughs) gross and Ah, awful. God, awful. And aren't you glad Bill the Pony wasn't involved? Yeah, and then but yeah, and then Bill the yeah, Bill the Pony runs off and literally it's a moment where Sam has to choose between Bill the Pony and Frodo. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Slow motion, looking back and forth, back and forth. Yeah, yeah, Bill the Pony gave a wild neigh of fear and turned tail and dashed away along along the lake and into the darkness. Sam leaped after him. Then hearing Frodo's cry, he ran back again, weeping and cursing. So <laughs> Sam, Poor Sam yeah, was issued an ultimatum and chose Frodo, which I guess, okay, fine. <laughs> but I also love the, the heroism of this moment because it says that Sam, you know, got down on his knees and starts hacking at the tentacle with a knife, which I don't know if that means hobbit knife or tall person knife. That's a sword. Yeah. I don't know. But either way. Sam is trying really hard. And then it later says that he was the only one doing anything. Everyone else was kind of frozen in fear, which is a pretty awesome Sam moment. Yeah. Oh, th- yeah. Then it's, yeah, after he starts cutting away, it says 20 other arms came rippling out. Oh, just awful. <laughs> oh, I also, like, the, this is the dark water boiled. That's just gross. Oh, God, I hate it. So, <laughs> so we know what will be haunting my nightmares for a while now. <laughs> and yeah, so then finally everyone's like, ah, and then they spring into action. Um, and then they run after Frodo's free, they run back into, or they run inside through the gate and then the gate closes and Sam is just like, poor Bill, I hope he's okay. <laughs> Uh, and then they are now in the minds of Moria. So they are. yeah. So my question is: the they constantly say like they're in Moria, and then also the minds of Moria. So is it all one mm-hmm. and the same, or is Moria like also this mountain that the minds are under? Uh, the mountains are called the Misty Mountains, and I think Moria and Minds of Moria are probably interchangeable um, okay. as is the, the next chapter is called the bridge of Kazadum. Kazadum is the older name for this place eventually the name was changed but yeah moria or Kazadum is a very very old place it's the the mount the mansion the house of the first dwarf that ever lived on middle earth uh, so it's very old i i feel like tolkien just never wants you to forget that like hey by the way remember this place has also 20 different names from right. 20 different languages or people or 
he he just loves all of those names. <laughs> yeah, for sure. He, he's, I mean, you've said it before and I've said it before and other guests have said it before, but he is very interested in the history of it. And mm-hmm. part of history is just how things shift and change over time. And the, the ages of Middle Earth are very long, so... Yeah. So they are plunged into darkness basically because they're in the mo- they're in the mines underneath the, you know, these mountains. There's obviously like no windows, no sunlight getting through. Um and luckily Gandalf's staff also functions as a flashlight and <laughs> Gandalf and Gimli lead the way even though I guess I guess his thinking is that Gimli has has Gimli like ever been here before or is his is Gandalf thinking just that like oh Gimli the dwarf might have some understanding of what's going on based on what he's heard I'm pretty sure Gimli has not been here I think he's just excited because of the stories he's heard and that his dwarf friends and family came here to take back the mines um, from the orcs and but he doesn't really know what they're getting into here I, I think I, I could be wrong. Gimli may have been to Moria, but I'm pretty sure he hasn't. Okay. I like how every now and then, every now and then Tolkien will give a description of how they're walking and like who's in line and what order. And he describe and he says that in the dark at the rear, grim and silent walked Aragorn. So clearly Aragorn's not happy to be here, but <laughs> I don't know. It just kind of made me laugh. Like a little angsty Aragorn moment. Um. It kind of describes his his character in this chapter. He kind of is just hanging back for a lot of it. And mm-hmm. he's not really present. A lot of the other characters have more presence in this chapter. Yeah. Um, which is they're kind of like bummer, but. out of his territory now because he he's so used to um, be, being a ranger. He's so used to knowing what the land is and where they are and knowing what to do and where to go and everything. Because up until now, he and Gandalf have kind of been consulting each other, each other on a lot of things. And then now he doesn't know what else to say. But, and then... Yeah, and then the next passage, he's telling everyone, he says, Do not be afraid. I've been with him on many a journey, if never on one so dark. So he is kind of going into this supportive role of like, yeah, this isn't that great. I know we're all worried, but it'll be fine because it's Gandalf. (laughs) (laughs) I also like that the rest of the group, while Gimli and Gandalf are kind of standing off, deciding which way to go or which path to take, I like that the rest of the group is kind of standing off to the side, like gossiping about what's happening and talking. And we don't don't see any part of the conversation that leads up to Aragorn saying, do not be afraid, but we can assume that everyone else is like, so is anyone else concerned about how Gandalf doesn't really seem to know what's happening here? (laughs) Again, once yeah, once again, showing that Gandalf doesn't know everything, which is concerning. Yeah, basically, it's yeah. I was like reading through my notes, and I was like, that can't be the next like significant thing that happens. But it's just a lot of once again, it's a lot of walking. <laughs> it's a lot of literally stumbling in the dark and not knowing yeah. what's going on or where to go. It does. Tolkien mentions at one point that the the wound from the writers that Frodo has has given him some like heightened senses and he can hear things and see things better, which I was kind of confused about because aren't ringwraiths blind? They can kind of see the shadow realm. I think they are 
blind in the daylight, but I think they can see better at night, if okay. I remember right. Okay, so um, yeah, if they can see better at night, then I guess that would make sense that, that it's given Frodo some kind of like night vision or whatever, that he can now see yeah. better in the dark. When I made note of this, I noticed how often eyes and watching came oh, up yeah. in this chapter, and it was generally equated to something evil. Um, they, mm-hmm. they thought they saw eyes in the woods with the wargs, um, and then of course Frodo, when he can see better in the dark, but it's because of this evil thing and this evil wound. Um, and then Frodo keeps seeing some thing or someone following and he thinks he sees luminous eyes in the distance. Yeah, yeah. Um, so eyes come up a lot. And then even Gandalf mentions toward the beginning of the chapter about they have to be careful where they're going because of the watchful eyes of, of Saruman and the enemy. And I was trying to remember, Mary Clay, you can help me here. At this point in the story, do you know what Sauron's physical form is? Do you know what he looks like at this point? Um, I do not. My only idea of what it is or reference so far that it's made is at one point Frodo says that there's a like bright red star or something in the sky and it always he feels like it's always just watching him and I just kind of made the assumption that oh that's the eye of Sauron just because okay. I've seen like memes and jokes about like the eye of Sauron and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> especially right. there's this one meme that it says Sauron, Sar off, and it's the eye of Sauron in black and white is Sar off. <laughs> <laughs> and it gave me a good chuckle, but <laughs> that's about all the extent. The only idea I have is that there is an eye. <laughs> Yeah, so I think it's it's uh, worth noting all the imagery of eyes and watching in this mm-hmm. in this chapter. And yeah. even I don't think it says it in this chapter, but even the the creature in the lake is called the Watcher in the Lake. Um, so yeah, there's just a lot of watching, Creepy. a lot of peering. Yeah, because Gandalf, uh, when they let me go back, because when they yeah Gandalf when they get inside and the creature's gone, Gand it says. This is talking about Gandalf. He did not speak aloud his thought that whatever it was that dwelt in the lake, it had seized on Frodo first among all the company. So, yeah, this idea that the creature had honed in on Frodo because it knows, has some deeper sense and knowledge that this is the evil one. Or not the evil one, but this is the one carrying the evil ring. This is the one who, because of his wound, too, has been touched by darkness. Um, Yeah. So that's, and then also, just, it, it really feels like, you know, Big Brother is watching in the sense that all the time they're talking about like, well, they they put up, they started a fire because they were no longer, they weren't trying to hide from, you know, the eyes anymore because they knew that they were watching already. So there was no use in not putting up a fire, or, you know, like just a lot of you are right. There are lots of references to being watched. And yeah, just this sense that whatever this evil force is, it's just looming over them. It's interesting you mentioned Big Brother as well, because uh, 1984 came out around the same time and George Orwell would have been a, a contemporary of Tolkien. So um, that's so I'm, weird. I'm sure that I never... was in his mind too. I don't think I'd ever thought about that. I think also in my mind, I always, <laughs> I always just, you know, like my dumb brain, it's just like, oh yeah, 1984, it came out in 1984. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you <laughs> so, would think. <laughs> yeah. I never really, yeah, I haven't really thought about, besides Lewis, I haven't really thought about who else, like of quote unquote classics that like you have 
to read in high school or something. I hadn't really thought about what else was out at this time or coming out. But that's really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not sure if they had a relationship or anything. I don't really know of Tolkien's relationship with Orwell, if mm. they knew each other or not. But 1984 was published in 1949. And oh, yeah. uh, Lord, wow. of the Rings, Lord of the Rings was just a few years yeah. later. So yeah. they're very close to each other. Man, that's cr- it's so fun. It's like when um, people say that Anne Frank and Martin Luther King Jr. were born, I think, in the same year. Oh, like, wow. they, like if Anne Frank had lived, they would have grown up to be, you know, the same age. But oh, wow. we never think of it that way because we associate them with two completely different time periods. Right. And that kind of feels like Orwell I associate with, like, dystopian social commentary in the Tolkien yeah is, you know, this creator inventor of fantasy. So Absolutely. that's crazy to think about. Anyway, if I was like smarter person or <laughs> was in school or something, I would love to do like a deep dive into like fantasy and like kind of base it base it around Tolkien, but like go into a dive of like fantasy and, and how we go into the creation of genres and how kind of how we as a society decide like, oh yeah, 1984, that's like what we're going to place value on versus other books that came out about that same time and why we didn't place value on them. But anyway... Yeah, it's all very interesting for sure. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, we were talking about Frodo's heightened senses. And I want to... And it's a, this is another one that just made me, me makes me go like, ooh. It says, yet Frodo began to hear or to imagine that he heard something else, like the faint fall of bare feet. It was never loud enough nor near enough for him to feel certain that he heard it. But once it had started, it never stopped. But it was not an echo, for when they halted, it pattered on for a little all by itself and then grew still. So... I'm just imagining like wet feet pitter pattering and there's a slight echo because they're in these mines and it's dark so they can't see and clearly something is following them. And I just wrote down Gollum, which you do not have to respond to <laughs> if it's I, a spoiler. I, I so much want to talk about the significance of feet because Tolkien makes effort to mention the feet and the echo of footfalls multiple times related to whatever or whoever is following them. But I don't want to talk too much more about feet because <laughs> it'll give it away. But yes, feet. Oh, which also, also side note, I guess I kind of have always like known in the back of my head that like, oh yeah, I guess the hobbits just kind of like walk around barefoot all the time. And when they're walking through that lake and Frodo's talking about like, oh, this is gross. I don't like this feel. I was kind of like, oh, so I guess they really, they really are barefoot, aren't they? <laughs> <laughs> just kind of something you, yes. you forget about as you're reading it, but... Right. They, Tolkien doesn't mention the hobbit's feet too much as they're walking, but yeah, they are they are barefoot for yeah. sure. <laughs> and so they stop and they go off into this little they stop for the night for a long a longer rest and they go into this little cave or crook <laughs> and there's a big hole in the middle of it which <laughs> Gandalf is like is, is like don't go in there for he's like I'm the one with the light let me walk in and they go in sure there's a huge hole which Sam I think it was Merry and Pippin would have been the first ones in there so they would have fallen in it and it's so deep so Pippin is curious about how big this is or how far down it goes and he throws a pebble down and it echoes and it just makes like a 
just noises that just startle the whole whole group. And also given how Boromir threw the stone in the lake earlier, and that's what like made the beast emerge or startled whatever, possibly, you know, this is kind of, it could start off very ominously too. And Gandalf, this is when Gandalf is just, <laughs> he says, fool of a took. This is a serious journey, not a hobbit walking party. Throw yourself in next time, and then you will be no further nuisance. Now be quiet. <laughs> Gosh, he's I love it awful. So much. <laughs> Which, up until now, I've been like, man, I love all of these like digs that he's getting in, um, yep. especially like... And it's not, it's not even that I, it's not that I don't like Pippin. I've just kind of made several jokes about how I, Mary is the best of the hobbits because he's the one that seems to have a level head and know what's going on. Right. He seems to be, I don't know, the more aware of, of the two. And, and so I just kind of make jokes that like, no, Pippin is not the better hobbit. It's obviously Mary. So it's funny right. when Gandalf is kind of backing me up on that claim that Pippin's not the best one. But now I'm like, Gandalf, what did Pippin ever do to you? <laughs> like, it's just so uncalled for. This is especially hard for me. My We named my daughter, her middle name is Pippin. And oh. I tend to call her Pippin more than her first name. And so it's funny to read this and think about her instead of, yeah, instead of Hobbit Pippin. But oh, Pippin so is my favorite. Um, Mary is definitely a better Hobbit. He's more capable. I just love Pippin's um, just how naive he is, and he is the most childish of them all, I think. Yeah, it, it's exactly as Gandalf says, fool of a took, or took, took. I always want to say, is it took or took? I've heard it either way, or either way. Fool of a took. True. <laughs> Accurate. Oh, I'm just flipping through my notes, and I I hadn't flipped flip to the next page when we were talking about it but when bill runs off i wrote bye bill best of luck and then a frowny face <laughs> with a single teardrop so <laughs> bye um, bill hope you find your dad <laughs> bye, buddy. except not because his dad would be bill fernie and we don't want him to yeah we don't want me yeah, i just so. love that they unintentionally rescued this like poor abused nearly <laughs> dying animal because when they get him uh butterbur i think makes the comment that He's probably not going to last long because he looks like he's about to die. And then as they're on this treacherous, perilous journey where they make several references too to how Frodo's losing weight and he's getting more in shape. And meanwhile, Bill the Pony is just gaining weight and and he's living his best life. (laughs) Right. He's like, I don't know what y'all are talking about. This is great. He's like, I got friends. I got grass. This, This is what else could you ask for? <laughs> so, oh, can we talk about how creepy the hole is in the ground yeah, for a second? Yeah. How, so Gandalf's upset, so he makes Pippin take the first watch. And it says, Pippin sat miserably by the door in the pitch dark, but he kept on turning round, fearing that some unknown thing would crawl up out of the well, which, great. Thanks for that nightmare. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm not big into horror movies, but I have seen The Ring. So I know scary Ooh, things will yeah. come out of wells much more than they're likely mm-hmm. to just stroll peacefully through a door. So Pippin did make the right choice here to just watch the well, the hole in the ground, the well, instead yeah. of the door. Also, it's definitely a horror movie trope of here's this dark opening that you don't know anything about. And I can definitely picture in my head if like they were, I don't remember exactly if this part was in the movie or not, or and if it was what happened then. But if they like wanted to get a jump scare in, it would be really easy to do with this part where like, you just show a shot of like Pippin slowly like leaning 
over to look down and then all of a sudden like a tentacle shoots up and grabs right. him. Like that's how like that's how you know horror movies You know do it's coming these, but it scares you anyways. Yeah, with these like dark ominous holes of uncertainty. <laughs> <laughs> so Gandalf eventually he hasn't been sleeping at all because he's just been decided. So, uh, so the reason I should say the reason they decided to stop and camp out for the night is basically because they've come to a fork in the road and Gandalf doesn't know which way to go. So he's just been sitting there all night contemplating and thinking about what to do. So finally, he gets up and lets Pippin sleep and decides this is a great time for a smoke. <laughs> um, <laughs> and when they get up and start getting in the morning, this is where this is where Gandalf totally jinxes them. He says, things have gone well so far and the greater part of the dark road is over. And as soon as he said that, I was Don't like... Don't say that. <laughs> it's like, well, that's it. You just signed your death warrant. Which, given that... Um, I can't remember if we were recording or not when I said this, but listeners, just so you know, I accidentally spoiled myself and I know that Gandalf dies in the next chapter, which... I don't know. Every time, every time I like accidentally spoil myself or something, I just hear like in the background, back of my head, like da da da. Oops, I did it again. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, Gandalf dies like in the you, next chapter. Spoiler. I like that your spoiler <laughs> conscience is Britney Spears. That makes me happy. Yeah. <laughs> But yes, they, yeah, Gandalf jinxes them with this, like, yeah, things are going great. Let's keep going. Uh, and then we get a little history lesson about why Moria is so important to the dwarves. Because it's this, like, dark, like, big, scary, empty place. And, like, Frodo, I think it's Frodo who either, either says or thinks that he can't imagine it ever being this, like, thriving place where there's lots of life and where people want to be here. He's like, why would people ever want to come here? And it's not because of like treasures or anything. It's because the mines have this really, really valuable kind of silver called mithril. Sure. Let's go with that. And we also find out that the armor that Bilbo gave to Frodo is made out of this really valuable silver, which uh, is just kind of funny that they mentioned, yeah, they mentioned that, mentioned that Thorin gave Bilbo this gift and they're like, hmm, I wonder what happened to that. Anyway, and Frodo's just like, <laughs> meanwhile, like Frodo's like tugging down on his shirt, making sure right. that it's covered up. <laughs> well, I like that Gandalf. Um, just assumed that Bilbo had let it gather dust in the Matham House, which Matham House we've come mm-hmm. we've come full circle. Yeah, <laughs> um, but clearly it sparked joy for Bilbo, and he he brought it along with him. So yeah, it sparked joy, <laughs> <laughs> um, which I'm so glad it did because finally, like the Frodo is equipped with something somewhat useful and helpful on this perilous yeah. journey. So and again, and as they're traveling or sitting again Frodo said uh has this feeling that something else is watching yeah I think it's when they're sleeping or when he's on watch and he he fancied that he could see two pale points of light almost like luminous eyes oh creepy and I'm just also I think because the way that Dobby is described in the Harry Potter books is like the biggest description of him is about his eyes and how they're like big glowing orbs, basically. And that's kind of what I'm just imagining now is like Dobby's eyes just blinking in the distance in the dark. <laughs> Except for these ones are obviously 
a bit more ominous. And once again, I'm like, Gollum, that you? It's funny you mentioned Dobby because so in preparation for this episode, I found um, it was more like a radio drama of Lord of the Rings, not an audiobook. I thought it was an audiobook, but I was wrong. And I, I was just listening to this part. And whoever they had the voice of for Sam sounded more like Dobby. And it was very unsettling. You know, it was mm-hmm. Mr. Frodo must not go to Hogwarts this year. <laughs> and it was just like, that's not how Sam should sound. And it was, yeah. So I stopped <laughs> listening and just decided to read the chapter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's such a, I hate when that happens when you're listening. Because that's happened to me a couple times just in general with audiobooks is I'll start playing it and sometimes it's the way that a character or the narrator narrates a certain character I'm like I can't listen to this anymore like this is gonna ruin the whole book for me and that's a shame because otherwise I don't know like who even has time to actually read books now (laughs) says says the person who has a podcast about reading a book but (laughs) this will probably be like the only book that I've read all year just because I never actually sit down to find the time to read anymore so listeners if you're wondering how to read more start a podcast about it uh oh so they do it's funny because when they so when they're talking about Moria and the history and everything I was just starting to wonder, I was like, wow, I can't believe like we've done this entire chapter while they're walking and everything and there hasn't been any singing yet. How has that not happened? Because like the acoustics must be great in the mines. How have they not sung? And then that was like exactly when Gimli like starts a song about Moria. But (laughs) anyway... Oh yeah, so my next note, they're talking so they're talking about um Balin. And is this something I missed or is this a Hobbit thing? Who is Balin? Yeah, he's one of the dwarves that's in the the party that is in the Hobbit. Oh, okay. Which makes But you don't really need to know that much about him, yeah. honestly. He's a, a lot of those dwarves in the Hobbit are somewhat interchangeable. I might get flack <laughs> for that, but sadly they are. <laughs> Um, they're yeah. only differentiated by like the color of their belts and their hats. That's pretty oh, much that's it. That's funny. So, <laughs> yeah. So as they're they're kind of coming to the top of the mines, I guess, about to come out on the other side of the mountains, and hope is everything's looking up, and that's when they're all. The, so all this time they've kind of been wondering about the whereabouts of Balin, and Gimli has been hoping that they would stumble into him. And so as they're kind of nearing what they think is the end of the mines and about to leave, they come across uh, some ancient, some runes and kind of a tomb. And we find out that Balin, son of Fundin, lord of Moria, is dead. Dun, dun, dun. Uh, but yeah, so my <laughs> notes were, who is Balin? And then my next note is, Oh, he's dead. So I guess it doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> You're not wrong. Yeah. <laughs> but it's important to Gimli. He's yeah. sad about that. Yeah, it says... His, yeah, his the, light is gone now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the chapter's last sentence is, Gimli cast his hood over his face. So yeah. Poor, which is, yeah, that's definitely very sad for Gimli because he was the one who was stoked to come to Moria because it's yeah. like, it's the place that the dwarves have been hoping that they could win back and, and take charge of once again and for him to come to this place finally that he's heard about and has a big piece in his people's history 
and then find out that the king because he does i think in the beginning of the chapter he mentions like oh yeah like maybe we'll find some clues about where he went or what he's up to and then we find out that he's dead so that's oh it's like in mulan when they are they stop singing a girl worth fighting for really abruptly and they come to the battleground and it's just like oh wow they're dead and then what's his name shang finds his father's helmet kind of like that (laughs) so gimli is mulan no i'm just kidding well that's funny that you mentioned that because that was sort of the image i had of when gimli is cannonballing into the lake which is canon let's be honest um i had that same image of all the the uh naked men running past (laughs) her into the (laughs) he's like see you guys i'm out (laughs) it all comes back to mulan lord of the rings is actually mulan um yeah and that's how this chapter ends Casey, what did you think of that chapter? I like I said, I was I was happy to just focus on on this one because I was eager to get to to five because big things happen and the action ramps up. But I really appreciated the the symbolism in this chapter. Like I mentioned, the eyes. There's also a lot of we didn't really talk about it much, but a lot of light and dark um, mm-hmm. symbolism in this chapter as well. I mean, it's called a journey into the dark, and yeah, the chapter even starts on a note of of talking about what the light is like. And uh, at one point before they get into Moria, it's really bright and sunny outside, but it doesn't ever lift their spirits because they know the darkness that's to come. And uh, there's just a lot of little uh, little hints like that that I appreciated mm-hmm. about this chapter yeah. and I also appreciated how much of a focus there is on Gandalf and how uh, he is not a perfect mentor and uh, that's important for for going forward yeah yeah the chapter title yeah we didn't talk about the chapter title but it's both literal and metaphorical because a journey into the dark they're going into these dark minds for a very long time oh which I didn't I, I didn't mention but I did write down just going back to what I said about how Gandalf is really vague about his what do you call it like measurements of of journey what are the of distance yeah yeah yeah, that's it (laughs) um and he said they're asking like how long do you think it'll be while we're in here and he says like three maybe four marches isn't that just this is just one long march like what is what does that even mean just say like we'll probably be here for two days like anyway but yeah it's literal darkness because they're in the mines and then yeah, this metaphorical darkness because Gandalf doesn't know what's going on. So they're walking. They're walking. They're in the. They're in the dark about a lot of things, literally and phys- uh, literally and metaphorically, because they're just kind of following Gandalf around. Who they're just trusting him blindly. Like we don't have anything better to put our faith into at this point, except for this wizard who has a flashlight staff. So sound like <laughs> sounds like a solid plan. Well, and to add another layer to the to the metaphor as well, we also get hints at what could be to come for Frodo, and we wonder the darkness that's ahead for him. You know, the hints Ooh, of yeah. of his uh, wound mm-hmm. and and just that journey into uh, maybe a more spiritual darkness, I guess you could call it. Um, so there, there's just multiple ways you can look at this chapter, which I appreciate. Yeah, it's almost like Tolkien is a good writer who <laughs> right. who is it who has multiple layers to what he's writing about so exactly um well casey where can people find you on the internet sure i i uh, co-host a podcast hello from elsewhere with my wife who is amazing valerie uh you can find us on instagram and twitter at elsewhere underscore pod we have a lot of fun on our podcast we sort of explore the themes and uh symbolism of of movies and sometimes books and we cover all kinds of stuff lord of the rings comes up but star wars harry potter marvel it all comes up and 
we have a lot of fun. So you can check us out. We're on Spotify, iTunes, wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, and it's a it's a really it's really fun. Also, if you are just a general fan of like pop culture too, because you yeah, it's not just one thing. Um, I liked y'all's episode about the other lives of Hollywood stars. Oh yeah, and I also I also love that Valerie picked. Um, I forgot his name, but it's the it's the guy from You've Got Mail who, oh, in Steve the bookshop. Yeah, yeah, we him. love Steve Zahn. Um, we talk about Steve Zahn all the time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I also just love You've Got Mail, so right. <laughs> that's a great movie. <laughs> and then yeah, and I also love that. Um, almost said Ron Swanson is right. yeah. Um, what's God? But Nick Offerman. Oh, Nick. Yeah. Offerman. Like yeah. I just love that Nick Offerman is Ron Swanson, but just less. <laughs> right. But also that he wants to be Tom Bombadil, which is uh, fitting for, for our discussion here. <laughs> yeah, cool. So that's what I'm talking about is a production of Bacon and Eggs. You can learn more about them by going to baconandeggs.media. The cover art is by Graphite, a.k.a. Vaishan Brandon. You can support him on Instagram at graphite.vmb. You can find the podcast on Twitter and Instagram at TolkienAboutPod. You can find me on Twitter at mcwatt416 and Instagram at mcturndownforwatt. And then I think this is probably the last week. I'll leave the link in the description. I want to show my thanks and appreciation for this first round of listeners in the early years. I say early years. This podcast is going to be like two years long, I think, maybe. I don't know. But as the crow flies. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. If you want a fun surprise in the mail, you can follow the link in the description and enter your information so that you can receive that surprise. And I think this will be the last week I do this unless Ethan and Tyler tell me otherwise. So <laughs> with that being said, do you have any final thoughts? No, just thank you so much for having me back on. It was delightful. I love your podcast. I look forward to every week. So I'm just ecstatic to be here. And, and thank you. Hey, thank you. I'm it may, I'm always surprised when people tell me they listen to this podcast. <laughs> so, And that's what I'm talking about. <laughs>